Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where each week we have a scintillating conversation with someone who's doing FKTs. And this week, we have a special guest, Jared Campbell, talking to us from Park City, Utah. Welcome, Jared. Thank you, Buzz. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, you're not, a, this is just terrible news, but you're not a professional ultra runner, as it turns out. You have no blog, minimal social media. Gee, what's up? You're, you're, I think you're kind of the runner's runner. Is uh, So what, what's up with that? Well, I guess I've always kind of valued privacy a little bit, you know, and uh, I guess I'm kind of a kind of a private person. So I'm, I'm, I'm off the radar in ways that most runners aren't these days. And these days, that's true. I think it's it's old school, but new school, it's, it seems like some people like to talk a little bit more than they do. And you're sort of the opposite because you're married, you have two children, you have a nice house, you have a very serious engineering job. And you're the race director for Run Up for Air, which is publicizing the air quality in the Salt Lake Valley. And a, a subsidiary event is spread here to Colorado. So you, you got a few irons in the fire. Yeah, I definitely lead a busy life. <laughs> That's always the challenge, is trying to balance everything. Right. Well, I'm going to go through your very quick bio for you. Uh, and uh, it's, for you, it's more than just running. You're an accomplished whitewater kayaker, a very good rock climber, 514 climber, a skier, cyclist. And, of course, you're a speed canyoneer as well. Yeah, that's really my the thing I'm most proud of is my speed canyoneering accomplishments for sure. So there's only uh, three people on earth who uh, <laughs> appreciate it. You're one of them. So thank you guys for highlighting right. that. You got it. Well, we had to bring the, the best right up front and we'll, we'll get into that. But it's interesting. You're kind of the, the big project guy. I mean, your races, you've, you've done um, – you know, Bighorn, Wasatch, and out in your neck of the woods. But heck, I think you've had 10 finishes at the Hard Rock 100, including a win going all the way back to 2004. And of course, Barkley. Barkley is now internationally well-known. And you finished that three times, by far the most of anyone else. So that's not exactly FKT action. But Barkley is kind of the close as you can get in a race to an FKT project, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Actually, it's been interesting listening to your past interviews, too. It seems to be that uh, a lot of folks drawn to kind of the self-sufficiency of FKT um, seem to have that on their radar as, as a race that interests them. But, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not your, your normal runner's runner. I didn't come into it from being kind of a collegiate runner or high school runner, really. Um, I came into the sport from, from climbing and, and spending a lot of time in, in big kind of mountain settings. So I was always really drawn as I got into the, the sport to the, you know, the interesting mountain runs and hard rocks, certainly one of them. And I jumped into that really early on. That was my second 100 and, uh, you know, kind of kept consistent with that for years. And, and yeah, like you pointed out, did that, uh, did that 10 times before I decided to, to turn around and, and help out and kind of give back more to the sport. Well, you, yeah, going back to 2004, 10 finishes at Hard Rock with a win. That's as solid as you can get. But uh, I also remember when you used to train for Run Up for Air and train for Barkley, you would do your 10K. You know, you get in your 10K run. But for you, <laughs> you were referring to vertical gain rather than horizontal gain. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you remembered that. Um, I wanted to do a whole series, you know, 5K, 10K, 10K the hard way. I remember we were going to brand it, right, where it was 
10,000 feet of vertical gain rather than 10 kilometers, uh, <laughs> you know, on the map. So, yeah, that's that's been sort of my the way I, my lens or the lens that I've looked through uh, trail running is really, you know, focusing more on kind of going up and down interesting objectives rather than going for long distance. Right. Well, when you were training for Barkley, you did run up for the air, which is multiple laps in a given time period uh, outside of the Salt Lake Valley at Grand Deer Peak. And what was the most vert you ever did in 24 hours, if I may ask? Um, yeah, that's so before running up for air really became a race, it was kind of a personal challenge. And um, at the time, nobody had done very many laps on Grandeur Peak. And I just threw it out there that I'll try to do 10. And uh, that equated to about 34,000 feet of gain. Turns out that's, you know, not not too hard or I, I mean, it's hard, but it's it's a manageable thing. And then went on to do that several times, uh, several different years, did that 12 times. That's that's 40,000 40, feet of gain. So I've done that several times on Grandeur and then um, similar things on, on other peaks. I d did something similar on Mount Olympus this winter, too. So about 40,000. But in winter conditions, you know, not not dry uh, conditions. I had a gnarly 24 hours uh, this this past year training for Barkley um, on Olympus, and it was just raining and snowing, raining down low, snowing up high for 24 hours straight. It was it was awesome. It was perfect Barkley training. It was fabulous. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, we're getting a little sense. Uh, the listeners are getting a little sense of the proper mentality for Barkley, maybe. So you did a 40K, but you were speaking of up rather than horizontal. That's that's stout, I think, 40K. I'm another 2K, you got your marathon. You got your vertical marathon. I know, yes, yes. Yeah, actually, 10 laps on Mount Olympus, which is another iconic peak here. Um, if you do it via the standard trail, it's about 4,200 feet of gain per lap. Times by 10, you got your vertical marathon. So, yeah. Okay. All right. It's going to be the new cool thing predicted here. The new cool thing. Yeah. Well, it's going to sell out. It would probably be a lottery uh, to get into that one, but we'll we'll deal yeah, with that. Definitely. So, this year at Barkley, you uh, you sprained your ankle at the first descent of the first lap, and it, you sent me a photo. It looked like a cantaloupe instead of your ankle. So, <laughs> you, you're okay with that now? Yeah. I mean, it was a real bummer for sure. Um you know, as I processed it, because it happened, like you say, really early on, and it was a severe ankle roll. I, I've had issues with that ankle for, for many years. And uh, it's it occurred to me that it's amazing in that race or, or even in hard rock, things like that. I've never had as dramatic an ankle roll, really, in my past. So um, I would guess I was appreciative that I hadn't had it happen prior. But, um, you know, it happened early, early on, and uh, it took me about an hour to come to the realization that that uh, this wasn't my year out there. So I just decided to <clears throat> have as much fun as I could and uh, help out people too um, as I sort of hobbled around. I had two poles and one good leg, and eventually a kind runner uh, gave me their ankle brace too. So I was able to sort of hobble around effectively, and as, as people caught up with and passed me, <clears throat> it was fun to impart you know, whatever wisdom I could on them in terms of how to navigate the next section or what, where the next book might be. Um, yeah, so... It was it was a bummer for sure, but I ended up experiencing the race uh, in a really cool way. Uh, I ended up having a social social um, experience there, both as I finished out the first lap and then when I got back to camp as well. Um, you know, I realized how I'd I'd 
quite frankly missed out on that in all my other years where I finished. Um, you know, when I'm slogging out there for 60 hours, um, by the time I finish, you know, everyone's gone home and I'm completely wrecked at the end. So I never really get to interact with the folks um, in and around the race. So, so you know, there was definitely a silver lining to what happened this year. Ended up meeting a lot of cool people. Great attitude. Well, here's a question for you. If you want to take a shot at this, it's a sort of a loaded question. But as we all know, uh, Gary changes the course. Someone finishes like you, and then they make the course a little harder. So the course is, can anyone finish the course, the current course? Oh, absolutely. Um, yes, it did change a lot. Um, you know, usually I think Gary Cantrell or Laz, the guy who puts it on, um, he is amazingly skilled at figuring out how to change it. And it's usually a really small, small ways in which he has changed it every year than I've been there, at least. Um, he made a fairly dramatic change this year. And that was really cool for me because I've been around, uh, I've been around different versions of the course for many years, but, uh, it was very exciting when the day before he announced, actually leading up to it, he announced there was fairly substantial changes, but uh, it was cool. You know, he brought in parts of a, the really old Barkley course from probably 15 years ago, things I hadn't seen, and he eliminated sections as well. So um, he definitely changed it a lot. I would say it's uh, a little bit harder. There was, There's always the sort of group tendency to say, oh, my gosh, it's impossible now and no one will ever finish it. Um but I don't think that's true. It's it's different and uh, certainly challenging, uh, probably more challenging than before, but it'll be it'll get finished for sure. <laughs> it'll get finished for sure. Well, that's good. Now we last year not so much and this year, boy, no one came close. And you're looking at the lap times and right off right out of the gate, I'm the spectator in me was saying, "Hmm, these lap times aren't lining up so good. I don't see this happening this year." And indeed, two people started the fourth lap. And speaking of FKTs, Carol Sabe, the FKT of the year winner, who has the speed record on the Appalachian Trail, was the last man standing. Yeah, a good crossover here in our conversation. But he, he got somewhere on, on lap four. But you still think someone's got this. Someone can do it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, the way it played out this year was I don't – I mean, you can never predict it. But it certainly didn't pan out the way most folks thought, including myself. Um, but, uh, oh, it's definitely doable. You know, le one unique thing that may or may not be known about the race is that, you know, there's uh, there's an intent to have the right mix of um, – people who know what they're doing out there, like uh, veterans, they would be called, and then very new people or virgins too. And and uh, a lot of veterans or people who had been out there dropped out early. So it was really interesting to see um, to see Carl and then the other guy. John here. Kelly called it quits. John Kelly called it quits at uh, end of lap two. Yeah, he did. I had a, I had a good chat with him in, in camp <laughs> after lap two. But, yeah. <laughs> no, it was cool to see Carl head back out. He's such a great guy. I loved getting to meet him, getting to know him. And, uh, you know, I just think there, there's not enough margin for error these days out there. And his time starting for, I mean, statistically, you know, there's all these analytical geeks who follow Barkley. And, I mean, everyone is already sort of putting together the story that it's like virtually impossible. Um, but, you know, weird things happen out there. So I was rooting for him. Good call. So you can see how Carl did do 41 days in the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I was really interesting to see how that would translate to Barkley. Um, 
of all the interviews you've done, I would say the one with Carl was one of the most fascinating to me. I loved hearing his methods and kind of the different strategy he brought to the AT. Um, he and I had a bit of interaction before Barkley, and I was really um, you know, eager to meet him and see how his skill set, which is amazing, to see how that would translate to you know, 60 hours of kind of nonstop sleep deprivation. He clearly has the you know, routine for the super long trails down. And, you know, he, it appears that it translated quite well out at Barkley, I'd say. Right. And John Kelly, the, the last person to, to be a finisher, sort of a local who's actually moved to the United Kingdom now, he got through lap two in first place, such as it is. And this said, hmm, I don't think I got this. Yep. No, you're right. I, it surprised me uh, quite a bit, you know, to, I want. I really wanted to go talk with him and kind of get in his head. Um, I think there's an interesting like uh, finisher's dilemma. I've kind of, you know, as I was thinking about it out at Barkley, where there's not been a great track record of of people who have finished it coming back and finishing it again, and it's it's kind of tied up in, you know, the effort, almost just obsessive mindset you have to be in to uh, when you return back to, or I should say even the first time too, like to be able to finish, you come back and, you know, things aren't going perfect or the wheels come off the bus a little bit. And it's, it's, it's easy to look at um, something less than five and not be, not be motivated by that. And I think that's the mindset John was in. And so me, meanwhile, you finished it three times and I've, um, talk to you these times and you've 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 said some profound things uh and i think what struck me is that level of commitment and pardon me i'm just very roughly paraphrasing but you've expressed this extraordinary level of commitment where you remove the question of are you going to continue and as long as there's a question it's probably going to go the wrong way you almost have to take the question out of the equation and have that level of commitment I, that's a, totally a true statement. Yes. I, I mean, for me, um, you know, a lot of people can physically feel like I'm ready for this race, whatever that race might be. For me, I, I feel like I can uh, have an intuitive sense for my physical training, but almost more importantly, like, is my mind in the right place? Is is that commitment there? And my ability to wrap my, my mind around uh, the, the, the duration, too. And uh, it's interesting. I really feel like over the years I've developed a sense for like, you know, yes, I feel like my mind's in the right place for that amount of time. And uh, a, a lot of what gets me there is a training run that might be, you know, 20 or 30 hours. And, you know, several of those kind of help you scope your, my mind at least, around really long duration. It's a select few, as the saying goes, more people have walked on the moon than have finished Barclay. <laughs> so it is a particular mindset and uh, a very different mindset. You talked about coming from a climbing background and liking the mountains. And there's a famous YouTube video that your good friend Ryan McDermott filmed on West Slabs of Olympus. So the viewers should go to uh, the podcast article on the website. And we'll, there'll be a link to this video, but that's got 47,000 views filmed back in June 2011. And I'm mentioning it again because it was kind of a fun video. You're just having fun, having a good time. You know, running videos tend to put me to sleep. I find them basically unwatchable, but not this one. So viewers, you definitely should check it out. It's only nine minutes long. The link will be up on the article on the podcast. And Jared, you did some uh, high-end speed glissading there. Yes, another one of my specialties. Uh, 
Speed, speed, speedless aiding and speed canyoneering. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's like a super classic route. If you live in Salt Lake, you like to scramble and you don't mind sliding down snow. It's an amazing, amazing little route that you can, you know, short enough that you can do it kind of after work. Um, and it's yeah, it's one of my favorite things. It's not always good uh, conditions, too. Uh, this year it probably will be because we have so much snow. But, like, when it's good, you got to be spontaneous and you got to go out and, and – uh, you know, get some of that. Now that said, I sort of bring that up with some caution too, because it's it's not a running route, it's not a trail, it's actually shows up in a climbing book. So I don't want runners to go out there and do this and, and get hurt. So uh, well, well, Doug Mayer indeed has an article in the current issue of Trail Running Magazine on the scene in Chamonix. You know, Killian Jornet, incredible athlete. You know, assiduous trainer. He researches everything. He's, he's buttoned up. He's got it together. But people are seeing him, you know, putting on shorts and a t-shirt and running up Mount Blanc, and they're going to say, oh, I can do that too. But three people have died in that valley in just one year. Yeah. And so I think your caution there is not a f- not flippant. It, it's real. Uh, it's a fun video to watch. Definitely look at it. But kids don't try this at home. <laughs> Yeah, I think as think of the line between, you know, running, mountain running and uh, climbing kind of blur a bit. People need to be careful, you know. Um, in many ways, it's a safer transition to go from a climber to a runner than, you know, to be your, your regular trail runner and then try to go do technical things. People can get hurt there. Well, speaking of speed canyoneering, <laughs> of course, we've done a few things in Zion National Park. And it's kind of funny because the tourists go there. They get in the bus. They hear the sound of the canyon rim. <laughs> Sorry, Angel, pardon me. But uh, they get in the bus, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There's all these fantastic trails. Obviously, Angel's Landing, Observation Point. But if you leave the valley, it opens up big time. There's amazing routes and terrain out there. Indeed. I mean, you and I have had so many good trips out there. Some of my best memories have been the projects we've tackled. And, and as you've pointed out many times, you know, uh, sometimes on these peaks, you're, you know, quarter mile as the crow flies from, you know, the, the, uh, shuttle with, you know, 200 people on it. And, and we're up there, you know, scrambling around with the bighorn sheep up there. So a lot of adventure can be had in Zion if you step uh, off the beaten path just a little bit. Indeed, you conceived of Zion Man. Uh, the Zion Crossing now is a very popular FKT route. It's almost a test piece where you go from one end of the park to the other on trails. Great route, but Zion Man is mostly off trail and goes over a few summits and down in uh, a serious canyon, Imlay Canyon, and then exits to the other to the uh, east end of the park by ascending Orderville Canyon. And you, Ryan, and I did that. And indeed, Megan Hicks of irunfar.com, she wrote an article on that for one of those tourist magazines. That was a fun route. <laughs> that, that was so much fun. It was just a beautiful fusion of good friends, uh, quite a bit of you know logistics and planning and gear, uh, multiple modalities from running on foot to rappelling to canyoneering. I mean, we had how much gear, how much weight on our back at one point with wetsuits and all that, like quite a bit right um quite a bit wetsuits are not lightweight there's no such thing as the ultra lightweight wetsuit yes and if i recall actually buzz before you arrived uh, ryan and i had to schlep a whole bunch of gear out with uh like animal carcass carriers we we uh, schlepped all our gear out there to stash it in the middle <laughs> that was so much fun i appreciated that yes that helped a yeah. lot 
That was, and I remember we, I think we were the first party down Imlay that year. And so we, we came down in and there's those log jams. You're coming to, for the readers who don't know about this type of canyoneering, there's potholes that are filled with water. And we're doing this in June where the air temperature could be 100 degrees. So it's kind of challenging to be up on top. But then you drop into that water and it's maybe 50 degrees because the water doesn't see the light of day. So wetsuits are very real. You would not last very long without the wetsuit. And you kind of have to get it together. You have to keep moving. You have to get in and get out. And if you did all the designated repels through Emily, I think it's around 30 repels to descend the canyon. Yeah, 30 or 40, I was going to say. But yep, you're right. And those who've seen it look like it was some big, you know, athletic challenge. But to me, it was purely just combining good friends and all, many of the things I love to do. So that was just plain fun for me. Right. So we've, as Iron Man, you and I did the Temple Throne Traverse a couple times. That's going over the top of the summits. And uh, you, Ryan, and I did the Zion Trifecta, the three biggest canyons in Zion in one day. And I'm thinking all these are OKTs. This is sort of too bad. There's, these aren't really FKTs because they're the only known times. Uh, Low-hanging fruit way out on the branch, as my wise friend once said. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully people are going to listen to this and maybe gear up. And I don't know. What do you think, Jared? I'm seeing this a lot. And uh, FKTs are blown up, which is great. People find their own meaning in their own backyard or go somewhere else. Uh, we did the FKT of the Year Awards for Europe this year. I hope to do it for Australia and Asia next year as well. And it's really fun stuff. People are having a good time. And it runs this gamut. So obviously, people are getting after rim to rim to rim and laying down some blistering times, really impressive, even some fast times on the John Muir Trail. While some of the other aspects of FKTs are pioneering, finding something that's maybe hasn't been done before, but still has some logic and still has some meaning. And I guess we've kind of gone for the latter half of that, haven't we? <laughs> yes, that's a true statement. Many of the things you and I have done. But that's, I think, the cool thing, right? I mean, you can, um, you can, you know, stick to those classic competitive, you know, very aerobic athletic routes, or you can choose to lean more towards adventure and inspiring routes and, and a lot of the planning if you're the first person out there doing the OKT. To me, that's really um, has a lot of appeal to me and and that's i guess a really cool aspect is that you can you can approach you can approach it from so many different angles and you can link together different uh, modalities and different ways of moving um you know canyoneering uh, boy a little two pound pack raft you can sure do a lot with that um uh so yeah it, there's so many right. ways to to embrace long adventures like this and put your put your real endurance kind of trail running skills to use really to me i just look at my my years of running you know, slogging through your, your normal hundred mile race. I just view that as sort of one of the tools in the tool, in the tool belt for doing bigger, you know, more interesting projects. So. And indeed, was it last year? I'm sorry. Was it last year you did the, uh, you went to 13s? Um, I think it was two years ago. You mean the Utah 13ers? Yeah, that was two years yeah, ago. Yeah, that was That's a couple right. years ago. Yeah. Yep. That was a good project. I mean, because the Colorado 14ers somehow blew up, very competitive. People go after the Colorado 14ers. But then you did, uh, with Luke Nelson, I think, 
the Idaho 12s. Yes. That was really intelligent. Wasn't there like – how many Idaho 12s are there? I think there are uh, nine, I want to say, nine or ten. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for some reason that whole idea of taking the high points above some, you know, arbitrary <laughs> elevation uh, is really fun actually. And Luke's from Idaho, very, very good friend of mine. Um, love tackling projects with him, and he was actually the one. He was the uh, the motivation behind the Idaho Twelvers. It was something that he had wanted to do for years, um, and it was very technical terrain. Most of it's on pretty loose, you know, kind of crappy scree fields and things like that. And so he figured I'd be a <laughs> I'd be a good partner for that. Um, and we onsited almost all of it. I had done one of the peaks before, and but it ended up being really fun. Uh, a great fun project and uh you know we learned a lot along the way and uh paved the path a, a little bit wider for uh for the next person to come along so there has been a repeat of the idaho 12 yes yep yeah uh Good. cody lind came along Good. and did that which boy talk about an fkt that's like under publicized and underrated what he did is amazing and at some point people will realize how amazing that was but uh he he's incredible um look forward to seeing what he does in the future Good call. The Colorado 14ers have gotten a lot of attention, and they tend to be logistically challenging because there's so much driving to do 54 summits. Uh, and then you also came back, like you said, and did the Utah 13ers, the Idaho 12ers and the Utah 13ers. And that took two tries because I think the first time you badly sprained your thumb on a fall. Uh, no, I, I sliced my hand open, actually. Um, yeah, oh. I, the first time I did it solo um, – Middle of the night, coming off one of the horribly loose uh, scree fields, I had a you know refrigerator-sized boulder come down and somehow didn't crush my finger, but it filleted it open. And I'm in you know hanging out on the side of this you know fifth-class you know ridge, finger sliced open, bleeding at like 2 a.m. Um, yeah, so I bailed out of there, you know, hit the spot tracker to my wife Mindy and said, "Hey, I'm okay, but I'm out of here." And 25 miles later, that's about how long it takes to get out of there. Um, I was back to safety and, and ended up coming back a year later also with Luke, and we, we finished it up. So great project there. Well, that's a good example, isn't it? So you can do the toughest 100-miler um, from Hard Rock to whatever. And Hard Rock is out there, of course, and UTMB is out there. But still, there's aid stations, there's people tracking you, and if something goes truly wrong, someone's going to come and get you and haul your ass out. While in something like this, these FKTs, you got to get yourself out. That is a true statement, yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the fine line we we uh, we dance upon here, is how do I, how do I show up prepared enough to deal with, you know, something fairly bad happening and uh, be of the mindset and capability to get yourself out of, uh, you know, some pretty remote places. The Uintas are very remote, um, but at the same time, not bring so much gear, you know, that you're just bogged down with weight. So therein lies one of our big challenges to how to do it, you know, somewhat safely and yet still move fast. Well, the technology has improved dramatically. You mentioned the spot tractor. I think now the DeLorme in reach is a little better. It's lighter and has better coverage, and you can send texts a little bit yeah. easier. And, of course, those didn't exist, I don't know, 10 years yeah. ago. So this this is good technology. Yeah, you know, DeLorme really changed the game when they when – they, primarily the main thing was two-way transmission, right, receive and transmit. 
for essentially the same weight. Now they've got the new device that's so much lighter. But uh, with two of them, too, you can essentially have texting walkie-talkies that work without cell towers, so just over satellites. Real game changer, um, both for logistics, but probably more importantly just for safety. Um, So, yeah, definitely if if people are doing FKTs that are out there or risky, you know, bring, bring something like that. I've also been in search and rescue efforts for friends of mine who've been lost. And, and, uh, in some cases it hasn't turned out, uh, you know, the way you want it to. And if you have some type of beacon, it can, it can really be a game changer. Um, should something go wrong. Four ounces is really worth Definitely. it. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Well, you've, uh, also Put your hand in a few of the, I mean, normal would be the wrong word for it, but uh, FKTs such as Nolan's. You were a real Nolan's guy for a number of years. How many times have you done the Nolan's route? Um, I've done it three times. Uh, yeah. So in, I, in 2012 was the first time, and it was at an, uh, I think my skill is identifying things that aren't interesting to hardly anybody <laughs> doing doing it or bringing it back to life or maybe it's the an OKT and sort of getting in on something before it gets really popular and Nolan's that was Nolan's in 2012 no one had tried it or fin- at least finished it for many years and that we kind of Matt Hart and I kind of put that back on the radar now it's you know they're holding like neighborhood you know Nolan's turkey trots on it so <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but it's certainly a lot more popular than it used to be. Um, yeah, and, I, and then I went. Yeah, and I went back a few years later uh, with Gary Robbins, and we had an interesting experience. Uh, crazy weather, bailed off a peak, you know, took five or six hour detour, and then got our uh, got ourselves back together and finished it up, and then went back a few weeks after that and did it again with Luke. <laughs> so it's a great route. Um, I've always sort of been on sighting it because I've never had the luxury of time out there to really learn it really well. But I I think after three three times on it now, I feel like I know it fairly well. And for you, that's basically a, this monster vert and a ton of elevation. But for you, the, technically, it's not that hard. It's uh, third class, tons, just miles and miles of tailors. That's a true statement, yeah. I mean, Nolan's, it can, no, you actually can make Nolan's technical. You know, for those who know it, it's there's not a defined route. It's more defined by the peaks you summit. And and uh, therein lies one of the interesting components of it is that you can, you know, choose your own adventure. And you can make it fairly technical if you want. 99% of people, or probably everybody now, makes it a little bit longer and less technical, though. And like you say, it's third mm. class. It's like never-ending boulder not- hopping for, you know, a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> now you create a route in your backyard called uh, acronym is world that's kind of your style it's right in your backyard you can work on it on, on the weekend you're, you're kind of proud of this route and it hasn't really got as much as attention as it deserves well it's not gotten a lot of like maybe you know broader audience attention but locally it's gotten a, quite a bit of attention um it's a fantastic mm-hmm. route you know it's it's so good if you know the wasatch it's the best the most logical, obvious link up, in my opinion, is circumnavigates Little Cottonwood. Um, it's it's such a good route. Um, I love it. Yeah, and it's been neat to see people really uh, learn what it takes to do it. And I think it almost always it blows people's minds at how hard it is and how long it takes, especially if they're runners. Um, but it's gotten a lot of attention, and and uh, 
it's been neat to see that local attention, I should say. Um, but it's a it's a great route. If that was in, I've always said, if that was in Chamonix, you know, it would it would be just an iconic line that every mountain hard person does, you know. What does WURL stand for? It's Remind the Wasatch that, Ultimate Ridge Linkup is what that stands for. So, Worrell. Gotcha. There we go. Thank you. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. So, uh, again, listeners, certainly go on the fastestknown.com website. At the top navigation bar, you can see what Jared's been up to under athletes. But click on routes, and you can type in any of these routes we're talking about. And the fastestknowntime.com uh, website will give you really good information. So if you're feeling in, not just uh, um, awestruck, but also inspired by Jared's conversation here, go to these routes, check them out. And Jared, you don't have to win. You don't have to be the fastest person. Th this is a great bucket list here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, go – if you find – you know, so many people get fixated on a race that they can't get into because, you know, there's a lottery and, a, you know, 10 times the number of people applying than can get in. Uh, if that's the situation you find yourself in, go go look up, go look up a route that inspires you and uh, put down the calendar and try it. And if it can't happen one weekend for whatever reason, come back the next weekend. <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about it. Right. You can do the entry fee. Yep, is pretty entry low. fee is low. Um, yeah, it's great, especially if it's local, right? I mean, <clears throat> when things are local too, you can work on them and uh, <clears throat> really get to know your backyard. And I don't know. Fortunately, I feel uh, yeah, I live in a beautiful place, and I'm inspired by the trails right out my front doorstep. So, um, I guess as I get older and my life gets a little trickier with with two girls now, um, I don't have to look far to still be inspired by roots, you know, right around me. So, well, again, Wasatch Ultimate Ridge Link Up. There's a hot tip for you. Uh, I think Nolan's. That's going to be a tough one for most people. And uh, but things like the Idaho 12s and the uh, Utah 13s, and of course, Nate Bender uh, was on the fastest known time of the year award list this year for his Montana 12s. That was brilliant because Mont no one. No one had even done these in one year, possibly in a lifetime. It was just off the radar, and he put them together and did them. I think five yes, days. Yes, so. I think what he did was so cool. And <clears throat> for what it's worth, um, you know, Luke and I ticked off Idaho, we ticked off Utah, and our next next on our calendar was uh, Montana Twelvers, actually. And kind of out of nowhere, I wasn't really tracking what Nate was doing, but it was really cool to see him put in, you know, the recon and the time and effort for that. Um, I had this desire to do it, but I didn't. I obviously wasn't applying myself like like Nate was, and he put in a huge amount of recon up there, which is so cool because that's a remote range. He, yeah, he spent months. Yep, then that's an amazing objective. So cool, love it. So, well, I, uh, I I of course have done the Washington Fourteeners. It's uh, <laughs> a little joke there, of course. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that's fourteen. <laughs> Oh, so what's what's next for you? Do you think? Or let me actually let's back that up for a second, Jared. What's next for the F for FKTs? Where's where's this going? What what do you see? What's cool? What's not cool? What do you see here? Um, I think a little bit of everything will will be cool. You know, there's to some people, rim to rim to rim is the 
you know, the epicenter of all things running. I mean, to me, um, I get intrigued when people branch out and go do something new. Like what Nate did was fantastic. And there's, you know, an infinite list of things like that out there um, that are inspiring. So I just think, I think it's going to expand in all directions and like the classic, the classic trails people are going to go after. But I, I, I hope to see an expansion too of exploration into areas uh, that don't, that people, we don't know a lot about, you know, like, um, Wind Rivers, you and I sort of independently have done a lot, but I mean, what a gem of a range and most runners don't know anything about it, you know? Um, so to me, right. that's, I love learning and being inspired by other things other people do. So, um, while I am kind of quiet when I, when I do something f- fun and inspiring, I, I like to share that in one form or another, whether it's photos or a bit more of a trip report, um, but yeah, I, and I appreciate when, when someone puts information out there on a place I've never been and, a, you know, in a place I've never seen. So uh, I hope folks branch out and, you know, step out of the comfort zone of the FKT or the trail that you know, hundreds of people have done and go do something different. Tell, tell us about where you live, you know, show us, show us what's in your backyard. And then it becomes a bucket list for everybody. So when you're traveling, if you're going to California, New Mexico, Alabama, there's you can go on the fastestknown.com website and just see what's cool there because essentially that's what this is. It's a it's a bucket list of the coolest yeah, routes in absolutely. the world. What's next for you? Any tips? Well, I've got. I mean, I have some really fun things planned in nineteen. Obviously, I got to get my ankle back uh, together, but it's on the fast recovery plan. So. I'm optimistic. Um, I will say in like late June, early July, I'm going to head up to, to BC up in Canada. I've made some good friends up there and there's some, uh, a good ridge link up, um, that I plan to tackle, uh, right around early, early July. Um, it's not my idea, so I don't want to say a whole lot about it, but that's going to be really fun. It's kind of, you know, grand traverse of the Tetons esque, but up in BC, um, you know, so that's going to be super fun. And then I hope to. And some of the and some of the rock up there is pretty good too. It, it varies dramatically, but some of it's very good, and yeah, some of it's yeah. Lousy. So you know, it's it's going to be kind of your technical scrambling route. Um, there's some glacier travel. There's some scrambling. There's some roped up uh, time we'll spend too. And then there's some good trails. So to me, that's that's pretty awesome. And BC, like I just I barely scratched the surface up there. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then some things locally, you know, like the Uintas, uh, while Luke and I went out and did the, the, uh, 13ers, um, so some might think I know the Uintas. I don't know the Uintas. Um, there's some great routes. There's the Highline Trail that I, I want to go do. It's a classic that I've never done. So depending on snow levels, I'll get out there this summer. And then, uh, or, or yeah, August. It's probably going to be August this year. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's a classic, you know, it's a self-supported like 75, 80 mile route, uh, which will be super cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the super classic, uh, front doorstep 100, which everyone's hearing about. So no, I'm just kidding. Now that's actually, um, I've been mapping out routes <laughs> literally from my front door. We moved like a year ago and have trails right at our front door. So, I've been having fun coming up with uh, routes into the heart of the Wasatch kind of from my front door. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm working towards eventually linking the whole Wasatch range together north to south. Um, 
the whole Wasatch Range. That's it's, it. How um, long it's about 300 be? miles. It's been done before, and uh, it's been done once. It's not really yeah. on uh, anyone's radar yet, but it's really good. The Wasatch Range is awesome, and um, it's kind of fun because while I know the Wasatch well, there are definitely sections that I that I don't, and so planning for this is, you know, requiring me to go to uh, places and, and parts of the Wasatch I don't know. So I'm learning my own backyard, you know, and it's cool. I'm in this place I've been for, you know, my whole life and still finding new new gems <laughs> to to experience. So that's, you know, I don't know if that'll happen this year, the whole Wasatch Traverse, but I'm kind of picking away at that and would love to string that whole thing together here in the next couple of years. That's a great perspective. You're learning about your backyard. And so what this in, engages you to do is learn about our world rather than, you know, looking at the clock. It's looking at nature or natural environment because you can't just go out there and hit it. You really do have to project yeah, it. As absolutely. And, you know, when we're when we think locally, we all have a tendency to kind of repeat things. And I definitely have that tendency. Um But there's so many gems right around you, too. And I'm kind of in that mode of trying to explore the you know, the, the surroundings that for some reason or another, I've just sort of uh, avoided over, over the years. So, Well, a lot of times I always ask what's next. And sometimes people don't like to say what's next because they don't want someone to come and poach their idea. Right. But with your ideas, yeah, not much, <laughs> not much danger of that. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to go nab the Wasatch Traverse out from under you. Uh, so you're, well, and if you're, someone you're did, one, uh, more power to them. I think collectively, you know, collectively we should come up with a really good, uh, the most compelling line across the Wasatch mountain range too, you know, um, in a way, I, that's another angle that we sort of work as a community at these projects is coming up with the best way or the most compelling way to do something. That's Nolan's to a T. Uh, as you know, from 2012 on, all the people that have done it and, and finished it have all sort of built upon what the last person did and made it a little bit more efficient. And I, I think therein lies kind of the fun community FKT challenge, you know, is, is uh, picking away at big projects and coming up with the best ways to do them. Excellent. Yeah, totally. So let's all go crowdsource the Wasatch. <laughs> so post comments. <laughs> so post comments. You could put the root up if you want, and you can just say it's under develop, under development, and then people could say I took a chunk at this, and here's what I found. You can post comments on the website, so you can crowdsource it and, and develop it in that fashion if you if you yeah, want to. I, I will uh, shoot something your way. Thanks. <laughs> 